Are you 100% sure that your business is still in the same level of compliance that it was whenever you started your business? Maybe you've grown and added headcount. Things might be a little bit different. So we're going to talk about that and a lot more with Greg Henderson on our One Step Better podcast. This is the One Step Better podcast. Helping small businesses make wins each and every week. So Greg, holidays are coming up. So I got to ask you, man, what are you, what are you guys doing over in the Henderson household to prepare for the holidays? I wish I had a better answer this, for this. Um, this is a, when are you going to put the Christmas lights up? And for my wife's point of view, she wished I would put them up as probably next weekend. Next weekend being, that's like what? A week before, two weeks couple before, weeks before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. So she she is a decorate for Christmas prior to Thanksgiving yeah. person. I never do. And so she's always frustrated with me. And, and you so, never do because you're a lazy person? I'm just, I'm just or, a lazy person. So it's not like a philosophical no. No, Christ- okay. no, no. It's the, it, no, no, no. I love Christmas music, right? Play it all year yeah. long. I, I just, for some reason, I don't pull the stuff out of the attic. Uh, unless it's... You're just being lazy. I'm just being lazy. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, this is like the one area of my life that I don't prepare for. I, I have a dad gift for each kid, and I go and buy that two or three days before Christmas. <laughs> so you're like a typical dad. <laughs> you're fighting the crowd right before deadline. Yeah. That's funny. Well, you know, it's it's probably uh, a good idea to run a business a little bit better than what we prepare, uh, how we prepare for Thanksgiving. Uh, And and things change all the time. Uh, Not so much in the Thanksgiving world, because guess what? It's going to be the fourth Thursday of November every single year. Uh, But the fourth Thursday this year is probably going to look a little bit bit different in my business than the fourth Thursday of next year. And one of the big ways uh, that things do change is just really the adding and termination of employees. Um, It really generates a need to have a handle and a pulse on some different compliance-based things uh, that employers really need to think about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and I think what we've titled this uh, this podcast, Size Matters, right? It's uh, not that podcast. It's not. It's, it's a little bit different one, right? So if you're here for the other Size Matters, <laughs> hate to disappoint. you the wrong button. Yeah. Um, this is going to be the PG version. Um, <laughs> but where we're getting with that is that Size Matters as it relates to your headcount uh, at the business that you are a part of can and does dictate different levels of compliance and really compliance burden that employers must keep up with. Um, and so, Greg, you are our HR expert in all things compliance especially. So give me a rundown of what are the numbers that I need to be mindful of as an employer. Yeah, so we call them the five magic numbers. So it's 1, 15, 20, 50 and 100. One is kind of self-explanatory, right? If I own a business and I have one worker, there are things that the federal government tells me I must adhere to. And that's the Fair Labor Standards Act. Child labor law, overtime, minimum wage, and record keeping all falls into that Fair Labor Standards Act bucket. So I can't just go hire an employee and then say, hey, we're going to go figure this out. I'm going to do whatever it takes to you know, get you paid, but sometimes I'm going to make it right. Sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. 
There's actually rules that I have to adhere to simply because I decided that, hey, you I know what? W-2. You're going to be my employee. Yep. So these are all numbers that relate to, uh, is it absolute employee count or is it categories of employees? So for example, um, I know that one of the things that comes up a lot in the ACA world is, you know, you have to, you have an ACA compliance issue at 50 people. Well, it's not really 50 people, it's 50 full-time equivalents. Right. So when you give us the breakdown of 1, 15, 20, 50, and 100, is that just bodies in a seat or is that groups of bodies or categories of bodies? How do we define those numbers? Yeah, so ACA is the exception, right? So seasonal workers don't count for ACA purposes, right? And so the Fair Labor Standards Act is the employee. So what they try to tell you is, I'll give you a great example. Um, we had 12 employees all year long, and we hired three more before Christmas because we have a mad rush. So now I have 15 employees. Do I automatically now, am I generated in that 15 employee mark? My best practice is yes. Whatever your headcount is, that's what you need to adhere by. They do give you a little bit of wiggle room and said, if you fluctuate, 15, 14, 15, you know, 13. What they would like to say is if you were at 15 employees for 20 weeks, either the calendar year that we're in or the previous calendar year. That's interesting. So all those numbers really except for ACA are true, just that it is a body is a one. Doesn't matter if I work one hour a week or 100 hours a week, a person is one. So, all right, so we said that at, at my first employee, I have a burden with FLSA, mm-hmm. which over time, child labor laws, all the things that you mentioned. So what is coming into play when I hit that 15 mark? So the 15 mark's a little bit different. So one, yes, child labor law, you know, the government says, I need you to know and understand how many hours a 16-year-old can work during the work week. That's if you have one employee all the way up to 14. And then after 14, 15 hits, 15 is where we get the Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's where we have all those discrimination stuff that we hear about. You can't discriminate upon employment of race, creed, natural origin, gender identity, sexual orientation, all that kind of flows into that Title Seven. So I don't have to worry too much about discriminatory issues when I'm 14 employees, but now I do when I'm 15? So this is, so maybe with the disclaimer at the very beginning of this, this is a federal labor law, hardcore headcount number. Each state can add to, but not take away. So some states have said, listen, 15 is great. We're gonna say seven. So you have to be very aware of that state-specific stuff for Title Seven. Gotcha. And so with as I've grown my business and I've added headcount, it I now have another compliance burden that I have to keep up with, the discriminatory Title Seven items. How does that tangibly impact me? What is what is something that I now need to do that I didn't previously need to do, you know, pending other state laws? Um, now that I have 15 employees, is it just as I need to have a separate policy in my handbook or is there, are there any action steps, tangible things that I need to do differently or take, uh, uh, now that I'm over, over 14? Right. I, if you haven't put something in place that says, you know, the EEO kind of equal employment office says, Hey, at title seven, this is what we really regulate. If you haven't put in something in your handbook that says we hire everyone, we don't really care. 
we worry about performance and resume more than all this other protected class stuff. If you haven't put something in place in your handbook or on your job application, highly recommend you do that, period. But absolutely do it once you if you start getting near that 15 employee threshold. And that's just, uh, I guess, kind of cover your bases a little bit. If, if a lawsuit ever did get you know, get brought against you, you can at least point back to awareness, if nothing else, right. of, hey, I'm, I'm aware of, of the rules. Right. I was following the rules. Um, and we didn't, we did not hire this person because of a protected class. Yeah. We didn't hire them because we don't know their, you know, <laughs> watch any other podcast we talk about. Yeah. Right? So. It, well, so with that, it brings up a good point. Maybe, you know, if I have three or four employees, Hiring looks very different than if I have 300 employees, right? If, if, if I have just a really small micro size company with my first hire, maybe my fourth hire, hiring may look like, hey, I like Greg. He's a good guy. I think that we're going to give it a shot. Yep. Um, and when I now that I if I've grown a little bit, and I have 15, 20 employees and this whole Title seven things comes to comes into play it may make sense for me to have a better documented hiring process. Again, just to cover my bases and say, well, I'm not hiring Greg because he's a guy and I'm not, and you know, and I'm passing on Anna because she's a girl, which can get me in trouble. Absolutely. I need to be able to present some documentation that says I hired Greg because of these skills or these qualifications more so than I liked him. Right. So it, it does start to require maybe a little bit more, formalized, and I hate that word because it's, I don't really necessarily mean super heavy systems and processes and rigidness, but you do need to have a little bit more of a formal process, some structure for those things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's a, that's a good thing to remember. So let's say we're we're continuing to grow. We've, we've gotten past that 15 threshold. Now we're creeping up on 20. What are the things I need to be considering as I'm approaching 20 people? Two big things at 20, health insurance and age. So how old does you th- how old do you think old is? Oh goodness, if you ask me now, old is like 80. Right. But if you would have asked me 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, I'd have been like 50. <laughs> right. So the federal government says old <laughs> is 40. I'm considered old. So age discrimination is at 20 employees, 40 years of age you start having to worry about age discrimination. So that's employment decisions as well as promotion and all that good stuff, right? So if you're if you're saying, oh, I'm just going to give the promotion to the young guy or give the new project that we're trying to figure out to the young guy because the old guy, you know, is not going to be here around forever or, you know, whatever. Be very, very cautious of that, making sure that the person – what we run into is the younger guy is less qualified and you didn't want to give it to the older guy because of whatever reason. So less qualified younger guy is kind of grounds for lawsuit on age discrimination. So just be a, just be cautious of that and aware of it. So you also mentioned healthcare? Healthcare. So health health insurance, right? So at 20 employees, any kind of life event, termination is the typical one. Do they have the ability to offer health insurance again if you're already offering um, some type of, of health insurance. You don't have to offer health insurance. You don't have, there's no COBRA requirement there. Gotcha. So COBRA kicks in at 20 employees mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily 20 covered individuals on your plan. Correct. It's just having 20 employees. So if you offer coverage um, and you have at least 20 employees, you also have a COBRA 
requirement, requirement. which is both the continuing of coverage, but also the notice, the notice. distribution, ma- making sure people are aware. I read a stat or heard a stat at a conference um, earlier this year, and it was like 87% of all eligible businesses are not in compliant with COBRA. It was a ridiculous number. And I thought, man, that is nuts. Well, because they, they think it's on the employee. There's a lot of on the employer. I have to give you notice. I have to let you know this. I have to send you the, the form. That All that onus is on the employer. A lot of people just don't think about it. And they're date-driven. Like, you have Absolutely. to send that notice within so many days. Yeah. And it's not just, oh, well, I remember I fired Greg two years ago. I think it's 45 days might or want to send like him the notice. Yeah. yeah, don't quote me on that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty quick after. Um, it, I think it's. I was gonna say it was even quicker than than that. You think it was fifteen? I thought. Yeah, I thought it was like I, within a week a or something. There's a five in there. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I also I also remember the uh, like the uh, in Tennessee the termination notice has to go out within twenty four hours. Twenty four hours. It's like man, that's quick. And so I don't think Cobra is that quick, but no. uh, it, it is pretty quick. So we've moved up into that twenty. Um, you said age and Cobra. Um, and again, is is the tangible takeaways there? Is it more just we need to have some structure around, you know, picking this person over that person as, as it relates to age? You, you said something that was interesting. You said if I if I promote a younger, less qualified individual, that's opening up a door versus For, a, a, an older, more qualified person. Right. So if I do that, and I have a sound reason, which who knows what, I just need to make sure that that is maybe clearly documented in my promotion process or, right. or whatever it may be. Or I would, again, transparency is, is the key here. If you had, I'm, I'm assuming the older guy applied for the job as well. So if I gave it to the younger guy, I would actually go to back to the, to the older guy and say, hey, listen, this is the reason why we went with him. We still need you on board. We still think you're a member of the team, you know, something of that nature, mainly because I, I'm, I'm transparent. Right. You you want to cover both sides. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go and just say, hey, you know what? He's got the potential to stay with us for 60 years. You are going to be dead in 10. Right. So we're going to, you know, that's bad news. Bad. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to write that in, a, in an email and, or put it in a certified letter, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please don't. Yeah. That's going immediately to the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, any handbook changes to, to account for that? I, I would assume that for COBRA, um, some of those notices are going out as part of your open enrollment and, and your plan notifications. Right. Whoever your vendor is. Yeah. Right. So something in the handbooks, of, uh, I would do a very qu- quick, you know, two, three sentences. Hey, if you need more information about this, contact this email or this person if you actually have a corporate vendor. Yeah. yeah. And then as we creep up, uh, we get to that 50 count. And this is the point, point where really um, in, in our world, we start to see employers that are uh, reaching that 50 employee mark, and they're starting to really think about and build out maybe a little bit more of a back office or, or HR, um, mm-hmm. not going to say team, but more specialized individuals in HR function. So, you know, before you get to that 50 count, you're going to have maybe the founder or owner of a company, um, maybe a spouse of an owner or, uh, you know, close relative even that is handling some of these HR functions. You get to that 20, 30 range, and it starts to get a little bit much. And so maybe it's now the second hat of a office manager or, or somebody yeah. else. But you probably don't have dedicated HR yet. Once you get to that 50 threshold, is, or really kind of close around that, is where we're starting to see some more 
dedicated HR generalist within uh, an office environment or, or a business. So what are the HR requirements that, that that individual or that business owner needs to consider as they hit that 50 number? Because yep. it might influence some of their hiring needs even in that HR role. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about ACA. So that's at 50. But again, it's 50 FTE. You'll see that in your, well, what is FTE? That's full-time equivalent. And so a lot of people think, oh, well, I work 40 hours. I'm a full-time guy. Well, ACA purposes, remember, it's 30 instead of 40. So if you have someone that's working a 30-hour, they are considered full-time for ACA purposes. But you have, you know, if you had that part-time person who's working 15 hours, well, they're considered 0.5 yeah. of that FTE. So you have to have two 15-hour people to make one full-time equivalent. So that's where it gets a little – that's where the rub is, right? Because at 50, you're thinking, oh, well, I have to have this. Well, maybe not Maybe yet. not. Yeah, maybe not. Is there any other compliance issues with 50 employees? Yeah, Family Medical Leave Act. So FMLA, you hear this all the time. Hey, I'm, I'm on FMLA or my sister, you know, she's on FMLA because she just had a baby or whatever. Um, so that's at 50. But there are some – just like COBRA, there's some employer responsibility as well as the employee responsibility to be what, what they consider qualified. So the employer has to be qualified in order for the federal government to say you must have this in place. And so the Family Medical Leave Act is leave, unpaid job protected leave for you to use as you see fit if you follow the, the, the different qualifications to get there. Birth of a child, adoption of a child medical reasons, medical reasons for your family. Any of those reasons kind of fall under that FMLA criteria. What does job protected leave mean? You can't be fired for taking FMLA. So if I, uh, I don't know, let's, if I have a kid, um, I can take unpaid leave mm -hmm. and my employer cannot fire me. Correct. How, how long can I be gone? 12 weeks, up to 12 weeks in, in, a, in a calendar year. Gotcha. And then there's, there's, if I remember right, there's some requirement for you have to be employed for a certain number of days before you're eligible yes. for FMLA. So let's go back to the employer qualification first. So you have to be part of an employer qualified program before you can get FMLA. The employer has to have 50 employees within 75 mile radius of each other. Oh my goodness. So if, I, if I'm in a single office building, that's easy. But easy. if I have a bunch of remote employees or working from home folks, that can get a bit hairy. That can get a bit, yeah. Possibly. Possibly. So once they qualify for that, then you're like, okay, great. I've had 50 employees, 20 more weeks. You know, I've got, you know, I've got my whatever, my, my, my radius of 75 miles if that's needed. And so that's the employer piece. The next step is now I have to go to each individual employee and see if they're qualified. What you're talking about before is I have to be able to work 1,250 hours during the last, during a 12-month period. It doesn't have to be consecutive. It's just during a 12-month period. If that's the case, then I qualify to say, hey, I need my FMLA. So if, I, if I'm a, a, an employer that has maybe 100 employees and they're all, uh, you know, 10-hour-a-week type, part-time job type stuff, it's very possible that they're not going to hit the ACA full-time equivalent requirement at 50. It's also very possible that they're not, their employees aren't working the threshold needed to really trigger FMLA. Um, but at the same time, if the same employee count that's working full-time hours, different compliance needs. Yeah. 
Wow. Will easily hit it. Yeah, yeah. And and, and your so, white collar guys are, are going to easily hit it if they're doing you know five four four days a week. So if if the employer is required to offer FMLA, then you really need some infrastructure and even some more systems in place to really manage the not just the facilitation of leave, but also the tracking of eligibility and the record keeping requirements of FMLA. There's a lot of um, reports that have to be sent out. You know, doctor notices. There's a lot of stuff that just says, "Hey, this is the packet for FMLA. You've got to go through this checklist." What happens if I let's say that I'm I got 51 employees. They're all full-time. And then next year, for whatever reason, we had to lay some people off, and I went through the entire year with 48 employees. Do I then lose my FMLA requirements until I get back over the threshold? So 20 weeks, right? So So I have to go at at least 20 weeks before I'm losing benefit necessarily. Well, well, no one's going to tell you that you shouldn't offer FMLA. Sure. They only come back if you should have and you did not. Yeah. So if you have 48 employees and you were offering FMLA for the last three years and all of a sudden you just dropped below that 50 mark, would you really take it away? Yeah. You Probably may not. you may run into some issues with just employee morale right. because at that point. It depends on how you track it. So if you track your FMLA of uh, – there's multiple ways to kind of track this. The best practice that I've found is a rolling – back 12 months so take whenever the employee wants to take the their their first day of fmla you just look back 12 months to see if they have taken any if they take taken any then the, all they have left is what's left out of that 12 weeks yeah and so if you take it away well they didn't get a chance to to use their 12 months or the 12 weeks that they are authorized so you kind of run into some different things yeah that's a big one. Uh, that's a big one that, I mean, you'll, you'll hear employers that, that have those requirements talk about all the time, and the employees that are working there will use it a, a good bit. Yeah. Now, that can run concurrently with your leave uh, absence policy, right? If you have a PTO or vacation sick, that can, that can run concurrently. Concurrent meaning that I can, let's say next week, I'm going to be on PTO, and it can also be considered FMLA leave. Yes. What would be the why would I do that as an employee? So you would get paid. For, gotcha. Gotcha. Because FMLA is unpaid. That right. makes sense. No, unless you have some disability insurance and all that. Yeah. So we're continuing to grow. Now we're going to double in size in the next year from 50 to 100. My requirements, once again, because of our lovely federal government, is going to change. Uh, and now I'm over that 100 threshold. What am I looking at there? Now the federal government actually starts to really care about your employees by type. And so EEO1 report comes in, and it's, a, it's an annual report that you have to submit to the federal government that says, these are all my employees by gender and by ethnicity. Now, what's throwing off a little bit is recently we have allowed people to say no gender or, or um, no answer. Yeah. Well, that's it's, the EEO1 report form hasn't. Update. Update. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, EO still says, I want to know. <laughs> right. So, but that's that's what they really care about. Um, and it's, it's an annual report. It's pretty simple. You just kind of, you know, run yeah. the report and send it to them. Yeah. In, in our world, we actually have uh, EO reports built into our, our, the software that we use to administer all these things. And last I looked at it, it was, uh, it's essentially, you have some age bands, mm-hmm. gender bands, but then also, um, 
you have categories. So if I'm an administrative worker or if I'm an executive or you're a paraprofessional, you have to categorize all of your jobs yes. into the appropriate EEO, which I cannot say fast, EEO, right? right? Um, uh, categories, which is it's kind of, I found, uh, just as a data nerd a little bit, it's interesting to start to look at some of that data and see where your people fall. Because uh, you can really kind of drill down into some of that, and this is where, this is where having that data can be useful from an HR perspective. You might you might learn that, you know, what thirty percent of my workforce is in this one category, right. or I'm evenly spaced out, or maybe my population is getting a little bit older. So having the data um, for these types of reports can turn into some strategic value. Yes, for it, HR. it helps you build your affirmative action plan if you get a little bit bigger and you start going into the federal government for contracts and different things of that nature. It does help you build that quota um, that you you might be trying to hit. I'll give you one more number um, that that can sometimes trip people up, and that's two hundred and fifty. Um, the IRS would say if you have 250 employees or more, you're now required to e-file your W-2s, which is, um, you know, in our world, we do that for our clients automatically. But if, you, if you're if you doing payroll yourself, just know that you now have to e-file your <laughs> W-2s. Um, but also, you have to begin to include the employer-paid portion of uh, medical premiums, uh, of health insurance premiums on the W-2 in the memo boxes. Um, and so it, once you hit that 250 mark, there's some W-2 reporting that you're required to also uh, start to do a little bit differently than you may have been doing previously, um, which is, we don't really deal with too many employers in that 250 range, but it is interesting as we as we jump into those. Yeah, so, and the other 100 is the WARN Act, right? Oh. So if you have 100 employees, um, you have to give them 60-day notice before you close shop terminate. or terminate or refrat or um, um, lay off people at, at certain you know parts of the division or whatever you have to give them 60 day notice and that's uh, if you're doing like if you're reduction of force of, of like X percentage of people whatever it is that that's when that triggers it's mm-hmm. not just every time you're gonna lay off one person correct there's right? a, some some calculations with that 50% is kind of uh, the the ongoing rule. So if you're going to lay off a, quite, a few people, quite a few people, it's very possible that you have to give more notice than right. you may realize. Yeah. Right. Well, Greg, this has been interesting. Um, I, th- I think some of the, the takeaways for me has been as I start a business and I grow, um, there are things that I need to be aware of that I may not otherwise have thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just really compliance based on my own growth and having more employees. Um, and as I, as I start to step up into that, you know, 15, 20, 50, 100 thresholds, I need to start thinking about things a little bit differently, um, both from what is a, sh- a strategic role of HR in my office to, you know, who is, you know, administering those things, but also what systems am I using to actually make sure that I'm staying compliant uh, and staying on top of, you know, these different requirements. Uh, in our in our world with our services that we offer, that's where you come in. <laughs> I know that I have an issue whenever Greg comes and says, "Hey, Mike, you have an issue," <laughs> uh, and, and so it's super helpful. Uh, but beyond that, it's also just you know policies that need to get updated on a continual basis. Uh, I need to look at those things. Maybe at least what we've always said in, in other podcasts and, and internally is, I need to be looking at those things at least once a year. Yeah, uh, probably twice a year, but right. at least once a year. If you're if you're a growing if you're growing, you know, 20% every month, you definitely need to look at that more than once a year. Yeah. If I'm growing 20% every month, 
whew, that's going to be tough to keep up with anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to have to have some systems right. in place. And a lot of people think the federal government doesn't have teeth. They definitely have teeth when, we, when it comes to, you know, Fair Labor Stan- Standards Act compliance. Um, you know, FMLA is not really – there's not a, a big penalty there, but your age discrimination, you're, you're 1, you're 15, and you're 20. They really have some teeth there. Who so administers those Department things? of Labor. Yeah. Gotcha. And then with EEO, um, that's a separate office, right? Separate office. And, yeah. But they can come in and still yes. do under wage and hours. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, to, yeah, to that point, it's you don't want to get in trouble with these guys. Right. Now, they look favorably on you if you were not willful, right? So if you, if you didn't know, right, you didn't know, you didn't know you were not doing this correctly, but they look completely, totally different around the people who knowingly yeah. – knew that they were doing wrong and they were willful violation. That's where you start getting the civil penalties. And so with that, though, I can claim ignorance, but that doesn't mean (laughs) that they're just going to be like, oh, bless his heart. We're going to keep on moving. Uh, I'm still going to have to pony up the pocketbook, but maybe just not to the extent that I otherwise would have. Correct. So ignorance is not a good excuse. (laughs) Three years back wages for messing up the one, 15, and 20. Yeah, which – Man, that could be that could be steep. That could be very steep. Greg, this has been super helpful. I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with us. Um, just to recap, once you hit those 1, 15, 20, 50, 100 uh, markers, you need to be thinking about what is that next step I need to take in my HR compliance? Uh, do I have the structure in place? Do I have the policies in place? And am I appropriately communicating to my team uh, what, what all those different things mean? So, Greg, once again, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And for all of our listeners, thank you for tagging along with us. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the One Step Better podcast. Thanks for listening to the One Step Better podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you would take some time to rate us five stars on your podcast player of choice and make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss out on another episode. Thanks and have a great day.